Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, February 25th, 2018. The share IDs, the reference numbers for Friday, February 23rd are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11086, that's 11,086. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11088, that's 11,088. This morning, A Vision for You presents Dealing with Challenges. Let's face it, life has its challenges. We are all faced with a myriad of challenges, physical, emotional, and spiritual. It comes in many forms, physical pain, emotional turmoil, widowhood, illness, persistent character defects, death in the family, to name a few. And each demands special efforts to overcome and to dispel the fear and hopelessness it engenders. How can we learn to utilize the program to cope with different challenges and become more skilled at facing them in the future? Can we build an armory of spiritual tools and support that we can use for almost any situation? The program of recovery and our higher power can provide us with the stability to be unruffled by the vicissitudes of life. We can automatically know how to handle any situation and enjoy a wonderful sense of inner peace most of the time. This type of deep serenity is the reward for dealing with life on life's terms. We can learn how to embrace life's numerous challenges and find new wellsprings of strength, new reservoirs of love, and new treasuries of faith. Joining us this morning to speak on this important topic is Don C., a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Don is a loyal servant in Overeaters Anonymous, dedicating his time and energy to helping others by sharing his experience, strength, and hope. And it is with great pleasure and appreciation that I welcome Don to the line. Good morning. Good morning, Leah. Thank you very much for the introduction. Oh, by the way, I've moved. I'm no longer in New York. I moved to Connecticut, uh, what, eight, nine months ago. Thanks for so the correction. Now... <laughs> yes, yes, well, you had no way of knowing. So I'm still getting used to Connecticut. So anyway, good morning, everyone. My name is Don. I'm a compulsive eater and food addict. Um, I've been in the program uh, this past January was 36 years. Uh, I count my abstinence from June 1, 1984. So uh, coming up in June, assuming I make it to June, will be 34 years of abstinence. Maintaining approximately 180, 185 pound weight loss now uh, for over three decades. Wow. When I say three decades, it sounds like a long time. Wow. I am getting old. Anyway, uh, that was quite a introduction about the challenges and opportunities that we have to face. I hope I can uh, add something to that. I uh, want to point out, though, I'm, you know, I'm not here to teach anything. I'm not here to lecture. I'm here just to share my experience. So my experience is my experience. It is what it is. So take what you want and leave the rest. 
All I know about life I've learned in the program, though. I came to the program uh, 36 years ago uh, in pretty bad shape. Uh, so let me give you some history on, on my program and on my recovery and then switch over to uh, the, the, the challenges that I've been facing now over the past four years. The greatest challenge of my uh, OA career, I guess you would say. I've been through a lot of stuff, uh, all the normal stuff, you know, broken hearts, death of the father, death of my mother, uh, divorce, early retirement, forced retirement, really, uh, business failure, uh, skin cancer, other physical problems, which I'll talk about, uh, but maintain my abstinence through all that. So let me first give you some history on who I am and how I got here a little bit and what I've been doing. So what I was like, uh, only child and only child coming out of Southern Appalachia, backwoods, coal country. Uh, I had an untreated, mentally ill, smothering mother and basically an, an emotionless, workaholic father. Uh, no question what I got from my mom, fear, Fear, lots of fear. Feelings of being somehow different from others. Feelings of less than, not good enough. Separateness, never quite fit in. Feeling like I'm on the outside looking in. Them versus us. It was them versus us. It was always that kind of siege uh, mentality. Fear, doubt, and insecurity that my mother had. For my father, uh, never asked for help. So fierce self-sufficiency. Men don't do feelings. Men don't ask for help. On the positive side, though, I guess I would have to give my father credit for something I really did get from him, and that's a work ethic. He implanted, by example, the idea in me that nothing comes from nothing, that there is no free lunch. And that has served me well uh, in later life, in the second half of my life. So he, he had me working from about the seventh grade on. In high school, I did academically okay, uh, but way below my, my potential. I was basically bored and I focused on a lot of other things. My high school was in late 50s, uh, so my focus was rock and roll, fast cars, sex, and sports. Still, in high school, there was the fear that I grew up with. The fear, the feeling different, feeling on the outside, looking in. I was uh, an athlete and uh, um, officer in school and all that stuff. So on the outside, I looked like I had my stuff together. But on the inside, I still felt different, still felt like I was uh, on the outside. So this Jekyll and Hyde thing that I had first half of my life was in full bloom in high school. Lots of play acting, lots of dishonesty, and pretending, acting one way because I thought that was what I needed to do and feeling another. College for me was about drinking and uh, a broken heart at the end of my freshman year uh, that I dealt with by building a wall. And this was important for me. I came to, I had gone with a girl through high school and we went off to college together. I had that dream of we would go to college together, finish it up, get married, have kids, live happily ever after, and all that stuff. Unfortunately, uh, that didn't work out that way, hence the broken heart. 
I responded to that by building a wall around myself, saying, never, never again will I ever allow anyone in. And therefore, I will never experience that pain again. And I did build that wall uh, around me. I also ran away to from college to the military where I spent three years. Uh, but I started going to back to school in the military. And then when I came out, went back to school and finished. That wall that I talked about remained in place for more than 20 years. 20 years. Uh, it was kind of a 20-year binge of self-sufficiency, I guess you would say. It didn't begin crumbling until the fifth step of this program. That was when I was honest with somebody for the very first time in all my life. It was at age 41, first time. And that wall began to crumble and I began to feel once again. I had, in fact, become what my father was and that was a stone. And that went on for 20 years. I eventually began college again, uh, but this time the hard way with a wife and a child. And while working one or two jobs at a time, I finished. Uh, I worked a couple of years and went back to grad school from where I was. Uh, from there, I was hired by a large corporation and uh, moved to New York. While it looked like from the outside, like a dream job, it was in fact a sellout on my part. It's not what I really, really wanted. I went for the money instead of following my heart. My heart was to go on to grad school and, and uh, get a PhD. But uh, after working one or two jobs, as I said, for years, my wife was working, we were tired, and we said, let's stop, let's go for the money. And so we went for the money, so it was a sellout. So while uh, rapidly progressing upward in the corporation, and the reason for that was I was driven by perfectionism. And of course, perfectionism comes from fear. So there was that fear, doubt, and insecurity from my childhood that was driving my compulsive working uh, as a result of this perfectionism. And I worked so hard. I worked there harder than everybody else. And so I was moving up very, very rapidly. But yet, while I was moving upward in this corporate world, I was becoming emptier and emptier and emptier. So business success, but steady emotional deterioration. And I found out there, this is hindsight, of course, that achievement does not equal self-esteem. I achieved a lot. I got a lot of financial rewards and other kinds of rewards. But yet there was still this low self-esteem inside of me, still the fear, doubt, and insecurity. My disease, uh, probably genetically predisposed to this disease, alcoholism is in my family, not my father or mother, uh, but my grandfather. I did not ever meet my grandfather, though he lived to be 80-some years old, because my parents kept me away from him as a child. I, was, I could not go near him. Whenever he was around, they kept me away from him because he was so unpredictable. He was a gutter-level alcoholic uh, who abused um, the eight children. She was one of eight, abused all of them. He was jailed. Uh, multiple times for his alcohol and for abuse of the family, etc. So I was kept away from him. There's also food in that background. Uh, all of my all of my aunts and uncles uh, had something of a food problem. Never quite. I don't think ever as severe as mine, but uh, it was there. Um, 
I had a lot of weight gains in my childhood, but not huge weight gains. Uh, if you look at my high school graduation picture, I look like a fit, perfectly fit specimen. As I said, I was an athlete, and so yes, I ate a lot, but yes, I burned it, burned it off. So while food affected my pre-adult life, it didn't really destroy it. The destroying part began in my 20s. Uh, over that 20-year period that I talked about, my 20s and 30s, I became a miserably unhappy adult, and I, and this is hindsight, of course, I began using food as medication until I eventually crossed that line that the big book talks about, and I worked, and I became a full addict. So I'm clearly, clearly an addict, and though I thought that when I came to the program, it's the only thing that makes any sense. So I, I know today, physiologically, the, the proof is, is clearly there that I am a, I'm a food addict. Uh, there is a physiological addiction in me to sugar and refined carbs. That's my abstinence, by the way. It's three, to, three meals a day, nothing in between, no sugar and refined carbs. I weigh and measure at, uh, at home uh, almost everything. So I became addicted to the medication, and then, as we say, I had two problems. There was the me and then there was the addiction. I also got up to close to uh, somewhere around 400 pounds. So beginnings of OA, um, miserably unhappy in life, uh, feeling trapped. I concluded there was no hope, there was no way out, so I might as well do away with myself. I had uh, obsessed on suicide for several years even read read some material on how to do it and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I um, eventually concluded I had two kids and uh, I knew someone who had hung themselves in the basement of their house and their kids had come home from school and found their father. So I just felt that was not fair. So I thought probably the, the best way to do it was to do that bridge. Uh, so nobody would be found, and I would leave all the notes and papers and all that kind of stuff, and so the kids wouldn't have to suffer through seeing their, their father in that state. So Yes, of course, I was insane, but that's where depression takes you. Depression was something that was with me my entire life. My father had it. All of his brothers had it. So it seems to be somewhat of a uh, genetic uh, predisposition also and that's been with me uh, all my life and something I have had to uh, deal with in the program and I do deal with it through the program so I obsessed for a long time on how to do it finally decided on the bridge so uh, Christmas night uh, 1981 I uh, wrote the notes crept out of the house 2:30 in the morning or so my wife was asleep did not know I left and I drove to the bridge over the Hudson River in New York State. Uh, not, not in the city, but upstate uh, a bit over the river. Three o'clock in the morning, walked, I parked my car on the end of the bridge um, and walked to the middle. Nobody there that time of, of night. As I said, it's not New York City, so it was north of the city. Nobody. I walked to the middle of the bridge, and I climbed up, climbed up about three tiers. So I'm standing there. And looking down, several hundred feet, it's totally black, it's snowing. I can see nothing except the light of a uh, what appeared to be a barge or tugboat coming down the Hudson River. 
that's it. I don't know how long I stood there. What I do know is that I do not remember coming down. I do not remember climbing down and walking back across the bridge to my car. The first thing that I remember is when I opened the car door and the light came on. And there I saw um, the letter and I saw the uh, and my wallet and, and, and stuff that I had left on the seat so it would be found. That was the... Uh, the first thing that I remembered after that. So some people might call it a God story. Uh, I don't know, maybe. 30 days later, 30 days to the day, I ended up in uh, what we called in those days a fat farm. Today it would be called a rehab of sorts. My employer gave me a medical leave. They understood somewhat what was going on. Uh, so I ended up in a fat farm in North Carolina that happened to be 12 step based. I of course had no clue whatsoever. I had never heard of OA. I had heard definitely of AA of course, but I'd never heard of OA. That was January 26, 1982. They put a big book in my hand and an AA 12 and 12 and said, we're going to follow the directions in this book. Uh, and that's going to be your job to follow these instructions. Uh, so I spent a couple of months there and got abstinent. Uh, they, of course, were feeding me, so it was easier when they were feeding me. And they took the sugar and refined carbs out and were giving me the right amounts to work me toward a healthy body weight. So I got a big big start there <clears throat> over a couple of months. Uh, the very last thing they ordered me, ordered, I say, to do when I checked out of there was go to an OA meeting tomorrow when you get home. Well, I did. And here I am, probably maybe 6,000 or so meetings later, I've never left, never left the program, uh, never had, once I got abstinent, a major relapse. So I was introduced to the 12 steps there Uh, actually worked through the first nine steps there in that two months and then went home and continued working the steps. Um, Step one, I put down the food. I had to detox from food so that I could objectively examine my life. You know, getting abstinent in the program is is the equivalent of our detox. I have to clear my head. I cannot work on the real problems, which are, of course, between my ears, my thinking, until I have a clear head. So I put down the food, uh, detoxed, uh, began learning that food was really the symptom, not the ultimate problem. I accepted that I could not control what I was putting in my mouth. I fought it, fought it very hard. But ultimately, they asked me the tough questions. I had to admit, I had stopped a lot of times, but it was not starting again that was the issue. So I finally accepted that I had a disease, an incurable, but an arrestable disease over which willpower was useless and that I could never treat food like a normal eater, ever. So that was 36 years ago and I still know every day today I cannot treat food like a normal eater. I have the disease no matter how long I'm abstinent, no matter how long. Uh, Yes, I am uh, recovered from the obsession and yes, I'm not eating. Uh, Yes, the food doesn't call to me, but I still have the disease. And so not picking up that first bite is the most important thing in my life. 
without a doubt. It's more important than my wife. It's more important than my kids. It's more important than my grandkids. It's more important than anything. That's the most important thing in my life because if I pick up that first bite, I run the risk of descending back into that hell from which I escape, back into that prison. Step two for me, from seeing and hearing recovery in the OA rooms, I gained the hope that kept me coming back to meetings. Now, remember, I came to the meeting. I was grossly came to the first uh, meetings. I was grossly obese, and I was suicidal. I didn't go away for a long time. And I was also an atheist, hardcore, bitter, angry atheist. So suicidal, grossly obese, and um, an atheist. Other than that, I had everything going for me. <laughs> so, yeah, I started at a real bottom. Third step, I committed to work in the program. That is the rest of the steps. So for me, surrender wasn't so much giving up as deciding to cooperate. So the God part didn't really play uh, any anything to me at all. God as such, uh, the appendix two talks about personality change as recovery. And if that appendix had not been in that book, I might not be here today because I couldn't deal with the God. But when I talked about personality change, okay, maybe I can deal with that. So that's that's where I started. Steps four, five, six, and seven were the change steps for me, and that's where things really began to happen. I began to rebuild, rebuilding myself into the person that God intended me to be. Note that I'm using the name God now. I didn't use it for many years. I do use it now, so I'm no longer that atheist that I came into the program as. So in these steps, I began to face my life and to deal with life rather than whine and eat, whine and eat, whine and eat. I began to take responsibility, no more blaming others or circumstances. I began to let go of that self-centeredness and controlling. Uh, I stopped what I called my mental master planning for the world. That is, I was imposing shoulds and oughts on people and situations. In my head, I was creating, creating scenarios of how everything should go, what you should say, what you should say, how you should react, what they should do, etc. And of course, nobody bothered to read my mind to get their instructions on what they should be doing. And so I was always frustrated and angry because the world wasn't going as I thought it should go. I began to let go of that uh, perfectionism that I mentioned before. That that's the that's the stuff that ensured that I would always feel not good enough. Perfectionism is just no such thing. I have to learn to accept what I do as as good enough. I began to let go of uh, selfishness. There was this gradual paradigm, very gradual, uh, from paradigm shift from how do I get what I want to, believe it or not, how can I be useful? And for me, that's kind of the part of the essence of the 12 steps. They move me from that self, 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 get, 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 to how can I be useful to others? Love and service, if you like, and I'll speak more of that a little bit later, I think, if I remember. So... Uh, the 11-step prayer admonishes me to seek to comfort, understand, and love rather than to be comforted, understood, and love. And that's kind of at, right at the, the center of my existence today. I say the 11-step prayer along with others every, every morning, and that's important. Remember, seek to comfort, under, and understand, and love rather than to be comforted, be understood, and be loved. I began to practice acceptance of the world as it is and letting go of anger and resentment, in other words, forgiveness. Of course, self-forgiveness had to come first. I 
it seems like I have to walk through that door of self-forgiveness before I can really accept others as they are in all of their humanness and uh, forgive them. Uh, I began to practice courage rather than fear. Fear had dominated my life. For a long time, my my fear antidotes were simply white-knuckle courage, white-knuckle courage. Uh, I didn't get into the God thing for quite a while, but I had a tough love sponsor who basically said, I don't care if you're afraid, do it anyway. Do it anyway. He used some four-letter words in there, which I won't use here, but he made me see that courage is not the absence of fear. It's doing it anyway. So I did. I began to be authentic. Remember the pretense stuff. I began to be authentic rather than a phony. Uh, always pretending, always seeking strokes from people, wanting you to like me, wanting you to say, oh, that's great, et cetera, et cetera. I began to put discipline and structure into my life, really important for me. Uh, I can't live spontaneously. Uh, yes, I have to be spontaneous in one way, but it's what I call structured discipline. I need to be disciplined in my planning, like my food, and in my life planning, but I need to be flexible and go with the flow when things change. Uh, so the discipline and structure went not just into the food, that's where it started, but it went into the rest of my life. In step six, eight and nine, I took full responsibility for what I had done. Um, I made amends, put the past away. New day, new life. It really did work for me. It was quite a gift. The healing began to come. Uh, the obsession was, was lifted. Um, Today, I hold on to the gift by actively living in steps 10 and 10, 11 and 12. That's a whole another subject for another time. Step 10, uh, every morning I inventory my emotional and spiritual condition, make the necessary corrections. You notice I said morning for uh, sometime I did the evening, the night review, and it just didn't work so well for me for whatever reason. I switched to the morning and it works well for me. I, it's, I, I open up my 11th step uh, ritual in the morning uh, with a prayer, uh, which I may talk about in a few minutes. Uh, and then I do a quick a quick inventory, sometimes a long inventory, but mostly a quick inventory of, of yesterday. Um, every morning I try to, I pray and I meditate. I try to seek God's will for me uh, through prayer and meditation. I say my own prayers as well as the serenity and the third and the seventh and the eleventh step prayers, um, I always, uh, as part of my opening prayer, I always use the big books, direct my thinking today, God, keep it free of self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives, but I add on some other things there, and I'll get to that in a second. I also always say the OA just for today's. Affirmations are a very big part of my uh, battling the uh, depression. Uh, I learned fairly early on that I can change how I feel by changing the sentences going through my head. And so if I just start saying that positive affirmations, that's new sentences going through my head. And wouldn't you believe my attitude changes and I move myself from a negative charge to a positive charge. Step 12, I devote a great deal of one-on-one -on -one time trying to help others today who share my disease as well as a lot of time doing service for intergroup and uh, uh, region and, as well as world service. So, that's basically the, my net net on the steps. You know, living the steps these days 
kind of in net, I guess, is, you know, accept that my disease and willpowerlessness, accept my disease and my willpowerlessness over it, commit myself to the 12 and 12 and 9, I call it, the nine tools, I use those as a way to arrest my disease. Uh, I let go of trying to arrange and control things that are not controllable. Uh, I do an ongoing inventory and correction of my flaws as I go. Uh, ops have to be absolutely honest with someone, starting with myself. I forgive myself and others in order to heal and stay healed. Clean up my past and then my mistakes as I go. Pray and meditate every day and try to keep myself aligned with God's purpose for me. Try to help others who share my disease and and stay in that attitude of other-centered rather than self-centered. In other words, a mindset of love and service and all the permutations of those words. So that's kind of a, a net, net, net of the basic principles. I could go into a lot longer, but not today. Basic principles of the steps that I try to live. All right. Um, I have uh, been through lots of stuff. I'm 77 years old. So Life happens. And so I have been through a lot of stuff in a program, abstinently. Um, I mentioned the broken heart, but that was pre-programmed, so that doesn't count, I guess. But I've been through the death of my father, which was a very major uh, thing because my mother, as I said, is mentally ill, and I was an only child. So that meant everything was on me. Uh, Death of the father of my mother, I should say. Uh, again, I'm an only child, so I was basically, by the last words my father said to me, now you have to take care of your mother, Don. And he says, I know I know you don't really understand her, and I know your relationship is not very good, but you have to take care of her because she can't take care of herself. And I did that basically from 1997 when he died until she died in 2014. Uh, went through a divorce, a uh, marriage of 26 years, Absolutely. Um, early retirement, it was basically forced retirement after 26 years with the company, a major, major reorganization, a lot of jobs, actually 10,000 jobs were eliminated around the world. And I was one of those, I'd been around a long time. And so they said, well, you don't have to leave, we're not laying you off, but here's an offer. And so they made me a very attractive offer. Uh, that if I left for four years, they would not pay my salary, but they would continue with all my benefits and so forth. And then at four years later, uh, my pension would begin just as if I had been working there. So it was an attractive offer. And so I thought I would, I took it and I started up my own business. And, and that was the next adventure that failed. The business uh, ultimately failed after a couple of years. So I've been through that. Um, skin cancer was something I've been battling for 25 years. Matter of fact, I'm going in for a couple of surgeries in, in, a, in a couple of weeks. Uh, but that's that's just an ongoing thing. It just, as long as you stay ahead of it, which I have, um, it's okay. And I continue to do that. And then we come down to the last four years. Uh, chronic pain problem. My life has changed. Uh, four years ago, I had back surgeries. I had severe back problem, spinal stenosis, degenerative spine disease, and other problems, which had been with me for a long time, but I had managed it through exercise. 
for probably about 10 years. Um, so long history of spinal stenosis and degenerative spine disease. I managed for years with the exercise. I injured myself in 2011 and could not exercise for several months. What happened was the disease really accelerated and the pain eventually immobilized me. So after all sorts of treatment, I finally had to do the last resort surgery four years ago. It was very last resort. I didn't want to do it, but I got to the point where I could not do anything. I couldn't even get into bed and out of bed. I could not even get dressed. My wife had to help dress me, etc. Unfortunately, the surgery left me with damaged nerves, which resulted in neuropathy in both legs, as well as severe lower back pain. The uh, the neuropathy, that's the tingling and the numbness and the weakness and the burning and the pain in both legs is always present. It is always there. And it limits my mobility now severely. It makes my life pretty miserable. It's totally changed my, my life. But even worse than the legs is that the, the lower back pain. Lower back pain is there that really severely, I can walk about, severely immobilizes. I can walk... Uh, Today, probably uh, 25 steps before the pain becomes so great that I have to sit down. Um, this has totally changed my life. Um, no one actually knows the source of the lower back pain. It's like the neuropathy in the legs. It appears to be permanent for the rest of my life. Uh, I can stand up behind a podium for an hour or more as I did yesterday at Unity Day. I stand behind the podium, I look normal, uh, but I'm holding on to the sides of the, of the podium so nobody knows that I'm actually bracing myself and without the back pain. But walk a minute or so, and then the lower back pain comes on, becomes unbearable. Sitting down relieves it, as I said. Um, the other source of this crippling back pain, other than the walking, is really just almost anything, uh, any sort of standing up activity uh, where I'm utilizing the upper body. I mean, as simple as fixing my breakfast, uh, brushing my teeth, washing my face, getting dressed, putting away dishes, making the bed. Um, those things all bring on the pain. It's as if when I do anything with the upper body, reach with my arms, anything like that, this has severely changed my life. I'm a very active person, was a very active person with a great deal left to do. Uh, I, you know, and I wanted no more, I wanted more than anything else to get back to the kayaking and the, taking the hikes in the woods and, and walks on the beach and shopping the supermarket and the mall, getting through airports without a damn wheelchair, uh, fixing breakfast, washing dishes, shaving without pain. And, you know, I've done lots and lots of weekend retreats, I guess about 30-some retreats. And I like to do those, taking people through the steps. Uh, I like to do region work, world service work. I want to get back to all those things or continue with all those things. I, haven't, I just can't do so many of those other things. Surgeons in three medical centers have said nothing can be done. Uh, I've been everywhere, talked to everybody. All the surgeons say nothing can be done, and all the surgeons have said we can only discharge you to the pain management doctors. So for the last year, I've been going to the pain management doctors, different ones, looking for some solution, and they haven't actually been able to do anything. 
So every single day and night for me is full of pain other than when I'm sitting down. And I'm not basically a sitting down person. So that gets us into these the life's challenges. Uh, I will t- I'll give you I'll give you the uh, finishing line of my talk uh, whenever I finish with everything else I'm going to say. And the finishing line of my talk is that life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. Not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. Um, I'm still learning to dance in the rain, uh, but I'm able to do that uh, through the program, through what I've learned in the program. Um, I've learned that disability is not a character defect. I've learned that body pain is not a character defect. Aging is not a character defect. My spinal stenosis and degenerative spine disease and neuropathy are not character defects. None of these things means I'm a failure. So I have to not let them conquer my spirit. I'm not a failure because I probably will need to say, take some kind of pain pills the rest of my life. I haven't really done that yet. So, you know, for many, many, many years, I prided myself on never having to take any kind of pills, any kind of medication. I said that was for weaklings. Now I have to change my attitude on that, and and I will eventually have to do that. So I got in. I have. I go in and out of, and have been, uh, in and out of depression over this, uh, anger, sadness, uh, irritability, negativity attitudes that I have to work on all the time. I do a gratitude list every day, and then every once in a while, uh, something will cause me to gain a new perspective or remember, you know, it's the old thing about I whined about having no shoes until I met a man with no feet. And that that happens all the time. I find, oh, oh yes. Think about what you can do, not what you can't do. I actually, uh, last year, was at a rest stop someplace on a Mass Turnpike, I think. I was sitting in the restaurant having lunch, and a woman walked in, literally with no legs. She was uh, both of her legs were, were artificial, and I suddenly was was uh, um, full of gratitude for what I did have, uh, not what I couldn't have. So, same thing happened last week. I was walking out of the hospital, and uh, I saw a woman. I watched a woman who was unable to control her body or the sounds coming out of her, her mouth. And it reminded me to be, be gratitude, to be grateful for what I had, what I have rather than what I, I don't have. So what have I had to do? You know, the steps, the steps, the steps. I am a big person on the steps. So I, I ran back through. Uh, I've had to run back through all the time the basic principles of the steps, you know. Step one is about honesty. So, you know, living step one is about practicing honesty in all uh, aspects of my life, particularly self-honesty. Except that I'm not truly in control of anything, only my own choices. You know, God's in control of output. I'm in charge of input. Uh, I can't control. Things are just there. Uh, step two for me was a, about hope. And that's a really easy one to fade. You know, living step two is cultivate an attitude of hope and positive thinking rather than the gloominess and the negativity and the fault finding that 
really this ongoing pain thing uh, brings to me. It seems to be the, the basic set, and I have to work to get out of it. So expect the best, not the worst. Step three is about faith. You know, trust that whatever happens in some way that I can't understand, it just seems to be part of the plan. Leave tomorrow to God, but do today what I think he would have me do to prepare for tomorrow. And uh, probably this is the key, key, key thing right here. Faith that God will give me the strength and the courage to deal with whatever life brings. That may be my key sentence for the whole morning here. Faith that God will give me the courage and the strength to deal with whatever life brings. Um, Step four is about courage. You know, face and deal with life as it is. No whining. Life may not be as I wish it were but or think it ought to be, but it, it just is. Five is about that integrity. Be open, be who I am, be part of the world, be my true self. No hiding out. Let my behavior match my values. You know, just for today, one of my affirmations is just for today, I will be who I am and give of my best. Step six is about willingness. You know, maintain an open-minded, flexible, and accepting attitude toward life, knowing that the only constant in the world is change. Yes, change, change, change. I have to change all the time. What I have to change now in these last years is to adapt. Accommodate is the word uh, that handicapped people use. I have to accommodate all of my activities to this handicap. Be teachable, be right-sized, uh, be open-minded, no better than, no worse than, simple child of God. Uh, wear the world like a loose garment, that humility of step seven. Eight for me are about forgiveness and self-discipline. Uh, practice the self-discipline in my words and actions toward others so as to not hurt them. I have no right to hurt others to solve my own ego, my own conscience. So practice forgiveness of myself, of, of everything else and other people. Hold no grudges. Give up blaming. Uh, learn to keep my mouth shut. What's that old slogan? A closed mouth gathers no foot. So, uh, nine, just love and tolerance, as I see it. Unconditional love for myself. God loves me unconditionally. Who the hell am I not to love myself unconditionally? Love and accept others as they are, not as I wish them to be. Take full responsibility for my actions and my feelings. Uh, perseverance intent. Perseverance to work at growth every day. Keep on keeping on, keeping on, keeping on in all areas of my life. Eleven, spiritual awareness and development. Let God be my compass instead of my logic. Cultivate things and people who nourish my soul. And of course, service in step 12. Live a life of love and service. Live a life of love and service. Have an attitude of how can I be of use? Allow God to serve others through me. That's what my life has been based on for a long time. Love and service. Um, so, staying sane, staying sober, staying in recovery, staying useful, continuing to do the things that I need to do to feel useful because that's the that's the big fear here is that with the age and the handicap I become less and less useful. Declining usefulness, that is a major, major fear in there. You know, a program gave me a second chance at life. 
uh, I decided in the program it was time to live life rather than simply endure. I had been enduring it for 41 years. It was time to step into life and start living it. And as I have had this disability and pain problem in these last uh, years, um, there is the propensity to isolate, to withdraw, and I can't do that. I need to continue to live. I need to accommodate whatever I can do. I need to take that damn wheelchair through the airport if I have to. It just is. So I cannot quit. I cannot quit. Um, in going through those ideas of the steps, um, you know, the self-honesty of the first, living with a hopeful attitude in the second, letting go of controlling and managing um, everything and everybody, going with the flow, letting God be God, remembering I'm in charge of actions, but God's in charge of results. Uh, quit trying to understand the mysteries, saying thy will be done to myself many times a day. Many times a day, thy will be done. I said it this morning about five or six times as I was praying and uh, asking God to help me in this talk this morning and to be a channel for him. Thy will be done, thy will be done. I... Um, I need to practice a living faith and a protective, caring God that loves me unconditionally. Dealing with life's challenges with the courage that the fourth step talks about. Being authentic and real in the fifth. Alignment between my uh, words and uh, thoughts and actions. Never in never-ending willingness to listen and learn and adapt and change in the sixth step the humility of the seventh that I talked about, to know I'm not no better than, no worse than others. All of us are simple children of God, and we need each other. We definitely need each other. Um, the forgiveness of others for not being perfect in the eighth, for making mistakes and being human. In the ninth, standing up tall and being accountable for who I am and what I do and I have done. Keeping on, keeping on in the tenth, that perseverance that it talks about, just doing the right thing, ongoing connection with God in the eleventh, looking for courage and peace and guidance. I like to talk about stopping by God's fountain many times a day to take a drink with his love and peace and living a life of service to others in the twelfth. It's awfully hard to feel sorry for myself when I focus on living in these principles and ideas. It's awfully hard to be angry at the world's unfairness in having my life changed here. It's awfully hard to withdraw when I see that I still have so much to give, that God obviously isn't finished with me yet, that somehow this physical change, this physical change may make me more useful to some people in our program, that I may become more useful to some people because of this problem. I can't know, so I'll just trust and choose to believe that God will give me whatever I need to deal with whatever life brings. So, I uh, a few months ago, working on all this, I uh, went to the big book and went through the stories. Uh, I'll tell you, one, one thing I did, let's see how am I doing on time, okay. Uh, one thing I did that I had never done before, and it seems so simple, I went to the indexes, uh, the indexes uh, of, the in, of the big book, 
And I went through the index and I pulled out all of the assets that the big book mentioned. And then I pulled out all of the liabilities that the big book mentions. And it's quite an interesting enlist. The liabilities, you know, just based upon the index. Anger, in alphabetical order. Anger, blaming, controlling, cynicism, denial, depression, dishonesty, fear, guilt and remorse, intolerance, phoniness, pride, rationalizing, resentments, self-will, self-hatred, selfish, self-centered, self-pity, and shame. So, you know, the big book just doesn't talk about resentment, fear, and uh, and sex in the fourth. It's the examples used. But there's a lot more stuff in there that talks about all of those liabilities that I just mentioned. Uh, the assets, which is where uh, I need to focus. You know, if you focus on the problem, the problem increases. If you focus on the solution, the solution increases. So the assets, just based upon the index in alphabetical order, acceptance, nice one to have first, right? Belief, faith, gratitude, honesty, hope, humility, kindness, patience, self-respect, self-worth, surrender, tolerance, trust, willingness. And the word abstinence is actually used uh, one, two, three, three on three pages. Abstinence, meaning, of course, sobriety, uh, is actually used. So a good list of assets. You know, if you're looking for the moral principles of the program, it's just, sometimes it's as easy as going to the index and looking, looking for those words. So it's an interesting exercise that I've, been, that I've done to help me uh, try to stay out of the anger and the depression and the irritability and the negativity brought on to the pain. And then I read some stories. And oh my God, the answers are always there, always there. They're, of course, they're in the 164 pages, but a different kind of answer and putting the answers into real practice you find in the stories. So I first read three stories. Um, uh, the first one was what used to be called Dr. Alcoholic Addict in the old edition. That's the one I knew so well. And now, of course, it's called Acceptance was the answer. You know, I read through the stories and I wrote down the major principles coming out of those stories. So there, Acceptance was the answer. Some of the points coming out of there. Work on controlling the internal and leave the external world, which I cannot change, to God. Right. Or conditions I cannot change, such as my disability. Uh, abstinence is the most important thing in my life, it says. Another one, acceptance and surrender are always the answer if I want a quiet mind, steady heart, and to maximize my productivity and creativity and usefulness to God and others. Another point in that story, I am responsible for how I feel. If I'm disturbed, it's my fault. Deal with it. Be accountable. Stop blaming others. Okay, as I think I said probably earlier on, I am responsible for how I feel. I can change my negativity to a positive charge with affirmations and with prayer. And with fellowship, going to meetings, listening, I can do all those things. Another point from that story, accept life on life's terms, such as my disability. Um, Serenity prayer is mentioned. Serenity prayer says it all. Surrender to what is, to what I cannot change. 
I often do the serenity prayer exercise, I call it. I, I say, okay, things I cannot change that are troublesome, and I, I did it this morning. And I wrote down there, you know, my age and my disability, I can't change. And I wrote a couple of names down there that are troublesome, which I won't say on the phone. Um, another point from, the, from acceptance story is uh, complaining makes things worse. Yep, yep, no whining, no whining, whining. That first Tough Love sponsor I had 35 years ago made me wear a pen that said no whining. So interesting, but he made the point. Um, another thing it says in the story, I don't always know what's good for me, so I certainly don't know what's good for you. Be careful about advice giving. Simply share my experience, strength, and hope, and I hope that's what I'm doing here this morning. And uh, maybe uh, three last most important points in there. When I focus on the problem, the problem increases. When I focus on the solution, the solution increases. Don't waste time lamenting reality. Immediately move to focusing on finding alternative solutions. And I have practiced that really uh, for a very, very long time. It's, It's one of the things that's really been successful for me. Successful when the challenge comes up, immediately began to focus on, all right, what are the possible responses here? Um, The last two points. Serenity is inversely proportional to the expectations I put on the world and vice versa. Serenity is directly proportional to acceptance of others as they are and the world as it is in my situation as it is. Another key story for me is freedom from bondage. It makes same kinds of points uh, that I just um, said, uh, one of the key ones that freedom from bondage makes is peace of mind comes from helping others. And of course, freedom from bondage is also where the uh, the uh, resentment prayer is on 552. The last story in the book uh, used to be called To Handle Life, and I actually knew the author of that, had dinner with him one night at some, some convention. Uh, today it's called AA taught him to handle sobriety. Uh, And he says some key things in there. Twelve steps teach me to handle life, not to eat or drink, not how to eat or drink. It's new thinking and new ways of coping with life that I have to do. Uh, Let go of expectations. Let go of scripting the world. Uh, I cannot afford resentments, and I cannot afford self-pity. I cannot afford guilt and remorse going back to those lines about the uh, uh, you know self self pity and resentments of the dubious luxuries of of others let go of the past and the future surrender live in the now and the last point in there reject fantasizing and accept reality in other words embrace reality life is to be lived not simply endured life is to be lived and then when i uh, looked at the index I found there were two other stories in the new edition. Uh, One is winner take all, which is the legally blind person. And that's where I got something I said earlier. Page 378, I learned that handicapped is not a four-letter word. Handicapped is, I'm quoting, handicapped is not a dirty word. I learned that God had a plan for my life, that the feelings of uselessness and self-pity went away, and I could see how my experience was help others. And this is a legally blind person, uh, so I won't go on, but there's good stuff in that story. Uh, And the last one 
On the Move is a story about a guy who has multiple sclerosis, is in a wheelchair. How appropriate. Um, 490. I slowly became angrier and angrier. Yeah, that was me. 491. I learned in spite of myself that the best thing about AA service jobs is that I got out of myself. So high value of service, and that's what I'm continuing to do today. Um, 492, quoting, AA and the steps of recovery have shown me how to look at events in a different way. I can now understand how some things, which once seemed like major disasters, turned out to be blessings. I do not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Those events that once made me feel ashamed and disgraced, disgraced now allow me to share with others how to become a useful member of the human race. My physical disability has not altered that attitude. If anything, it's enhanced it. Long ago, I learned that no matter how uncomfortable I was physically, I felt better by getting out of myself and helping someone else. It has also helped to learn how to laugh at myself and to not take myself so seriously. I am aware that I am not the only person on this earth with problems. Uh, And last sentence, quote, 493, all I ever need is the willingness to do what's in front of me to be done. So stories in the big book, all those principles of the step, the stories in the big book, give me the courage to accept and deal with life as it is um, today. Uh, Every morning, what I do is uh, in my 11 step work is I start the morning with a prayer And I say, good morning, God. Thank you for the gift of another day. Gift. Gift is a key word. It is a a gift. Help me use it well. Grant me the discipline to be productive and useful. The power to follow my food plan. The courage and strength to accept and deal with life on life's terms, including my chronic pain. And the will to work at being all you would have me be and the stamina to follow my exercise regimen. Direct my thinking today, God. Keep me free of self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives, as well as the sadness, irritability, and negativity driven by my back and leg pain. Help me live in faith and hope and surrender and acceptance and patience, forgiveness and love and usefulness to you and to others. So that's my opening prayer. I do an inventory, as I said. I plan my day. I read uh, my books uh an interesting thing happened this morning uh i have believe it or not uh i counted after this happened this morning 23 daily reading books on the shelf beside of me now i normally read three or four so there's this usually it's the same three or four every once in a while i'll pick up others so i read three this morning this would be about 6 30 this morning i read three didn't make really any connection. So I just kind of arbitrarily reached over and out of the stack pulled another book. And um, not it's not a, uh, um, an OA book or an AA book, but it's written by somebody in program. And I pulled it out and opened it up just to a random page. I just opened it up in the middle of the book. And what's on the page but the following Problems are opportunities for growth. (laughs) They let us experience the wisdom of other people 
when we ask for help. They assure us a better connection to our higher power if we want it. And they give us chances to practice inner silence and find the place where all answers ultimately reside. Going within offers us profound calm, the love and the secure comfort of our higher power. Now, I laughed when I read it because this this uh, program this morning, or this talk this morning, was supposed to be about dealing with challenges, and there it is. I randomly open up a book, and it tells me what to say and what's the value uh, of this of this work. So uh, uh, then I do uh, I do a gratitude list, which I did this morning. That is very helpful uh, to me. I do affirmations, which is are very helpful to me, like. Uh, this morning I just read three or four. All the good that has ever been or will ever be has its beginning in God. God is the foundation on which I build a successful and rewarding life. I am strong, healthy, loving, enthusiastic, faith-filled, serene, and confident. I surrender to God every morning and let him lead me through the day. I have nothing to fear today or any day as long as I let God take charge of me and all the circumstances in my life. I leave tomorrow to God, but do today what I think God would have me do to prepare for tomorrow. There is no problem I cannot take to God and none for which he does not have a solution or action plan. I do not waste who I am by living in a dream of who I wish I was or used to be. Important principle for me today. I do not waste who I am by living in a dream of who I wish I was or used to be. And then I do other things, but I, I go through my, affirm my basic beliefs. And I'm going to start closing here, I think, by um, just sharing those with you. As I said, I came to the program as an atheist, not an atheist anymore, but, you know, the God, it's the God of my understanding. And uh, so these uh, Don so-called basic spiritual beliefs here, which guide my life and have helped me so much through this period of this challenge, Right? It's not a problem, it's a challenge. Uh, I know it's a cliche to say, call problems, uh, opportunities and challenges, but it is better. It, it's a better frame of mind to be in. So these so-called spiritual beliefs of dawn have been shaped over the years. Um, haven't been revised since last week. <laughs> so it's, it's continually being revised and in process. And I'll just read part of these and get to the main one. That, that guides me today in, in, uh, in the challenges that I have in life. I say, and these will also give you my understanding of higher power. Uh, first, I say, God, the divine spirit of the universe, has many manifestations. Many manifestations. One is that quiet inner voice. <clears throat> Call it quiet inner presence, if you like, of truth and goodness and love. And that means that God is part of me and that I am part of God, the universe. Two, this quiet inner presence is a spiritual compass that will show me the way if I ask <clears throat> and listen. Three, the God of my understanding loves me unconditionally, wants only good for me, wants me to be all I've been given the ability to be. Four, God is not a puppeteer, though. We're in a spiritual partnership to co-create each day of my life. I have been given the power to make decisions and take actions, good or bad. Five, although I strongly influence my destiny with my decisions and my actions, ultimately, 
I'm only in charge of actions. God's in charge of outcomes and results. Six, God won't do for me what I need to do for myself. I am accountable. Do not abdicate. And seven, the key one, I guess, in this whole thing, God will give me the strength and courage to accept and deal with whatever life brings, including the chronic pain. He's always with me, in me, beside me, around me, ready to help me on my journey, even carry me if need be. I'll say it again. He's always with me, in me, beside me, around me, ready to help me on my journey, even carry me if need be. Uh, He has carried me a couple of times in my life. Uh, One was when the death of my father uh, and the other was in a courtroom uh, in the divorce uh, hearing. I think God carried me through that. Eight, wherever I am in my life is where I am. What is, is deal with it. No whining. Do the next right thing. Nine, all life has changed. What is now will pass. Whether I see now as good or as bad. Ten, look at life's challenges as growth opportunities, not torture. For example, my back and leg pain issue is a growth opportunity that could increase my usefulness to others who have physical issues. Eleven, life is meant to be lived fully, not simply endured. So I need to be proactive rather than reactive. I watched my father in the last years of his life just sat back and wait to die. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to continue to live and be proactive, not just reactive. Twelve, there's more good than bad in the world, and more often than not, good begets good. Thirteen, more often than not, as I give to the world, so the world will give to me. Fourteen, my need, I need to continue growing, no matter how old I am, spiritually and intellectually. Every day is a learning opportunity. If I'm not moving forward, I'm moving backward. It's a little, a little like living life on a going up a down escalator. I have to keep moving and growing. And lastly, 15, my purpose in life today is to live in love and service and all the manifestations of those words. Love, for example, is manifested in patience, tolerance, kindness, compassion, forgiveness, acceptance, understanding. Service as manifested in sharing my experience, strength, and hope with still suffering compulsive eaters and doing whatever I can to keep OA healthy. So when my life and mindset is based on these simple truths for me, I stay calm. I face and deal with reality. I'm focused and productive. I do not seek relief in food, which is what I did before. Calm mind, steady heart is a phrase that somebody has used. I didn't, I didn't make it up. But that's where I am if I base my life on those. So this whole thing about dealing with challenges, I think I've talked about using the book, using the principles, living by the principles. But ultimately, it's about acceptance and faith, I think. And in my case, the accommodation. So acceptance and faith. What happens, happens. What is, is, get on with it. Practice the presence of God. 
God is always with me and I'm always with God. He will give me the strength and the courage to deal with whatever life brings. Let me close with uh, something that I, I see in some of my old notes that I wrote probably 25 years ago. And uh, it's something out of my journal called Reality. Reality, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. The rain falls on the just and the sun shines on the unjust. That's reality. Everything is a duality. There is no day without night, no sun without darkness, no love without hate, no pleasure without pain, no joy without despair. No forgiveness without anger. No courage without fear. I can't know the answer to the mysteries, but I have choices. I have free will. I can choose to embrace the darkness, the anger, and the fear, and the distrust, and the self-pity. Or I can choose to embrace the light and to live. I choose light, and I choose life. So... Thank you all for listening. Don, thank you so much for your honest and open and inspiring presentation this morning regarding living life on life's terms. Really beautiful. Thank you so much. We appreciate your transparency transparency and your sincerity very much. Thank you. Don's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. The share ID for this presentation, 11091, that's 11,091. We will now transition to a question and answer period. You'll need to press star one to unmute. Please offer your first name and first letter of your last name. Lady Bruce H. H. Lee A. This is Larry Lady Okay, thus far I have Leah D, Ruth H, Lee H, Larry K. Who did I miss? Stacy T. Okay. After Stacy. Vanessa K. Oh, gotcha. All right, let's start with that group. Don, we have about 350 people on the line. So. <laughs> Uh, no, 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 no. I can't take 350 questions. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I'll do my best. Okay. We appreciate your time and energy, Don. All right. Leah D., first up. Go ahead. Okay. Can I be heard, Leah? Yes. If everyone else can mute, that will uh, improve the quality of the recording. Thank you. Thank you so much, Don. I tuned in. I laughed. I cried, and I applauded at the end. Um, I lost my husband October the 10th. That's not my issue. You give me a lot of strength, hope, and experience. Through your whole talk, I want to know the words I use to a chronic relapsing sponsor who's in so much pain that she can't live. I feel tapped out. I just can't keep saying, well, go figure it out and call me back. I think you have some kind of a wisdom. What are the words that you use to share? Thank you. Yes. Uh, those words that I kind of have to say to myself from time to time is, I don't think God is really finished with me yet. I think I have something really to give yet. Um, people have said that to me, you know, you don't, don't quit. You have a lot to give. You have a lot of experience, strength, and hope to give. 
stick with God. God is with you. God loves you unconditionally. And God is not finished with you yet. There is something there for you to do. So I don't know. I'm no, I have no magic on anything. But uh, I talk with depressed people all the time. And uh, because I, I guess a lot of depressed people call me because they hear that I deal with depression. And so, you know, I take actions all the time, not just the stuff that I talked about this morning, but, you know, exercise is the number one thing on my on my uh, uh, depression plan. Move a muscle, change a thought, just get out of myself, go do something. And number two on that long list is um, try to help somebody else. Try to help somebody else. Reach out, be useful. And of course, you know what happens when we do that. We get out of ourselves. And so fighting the depression is getting out of myself low. So, you know, when I'm talking to other people, uh, trying to be useful for them, I'm not thinking about myself. And that helps. So these are just little things. Life is full of these tragedies. But life goes on. And uh, we get through it. We deal with it. Uh, and, uh, and we go on. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I have anything more to say. It's hard, but it's doable and people do it all the time. So move a muscle, change a thought, be of service, you know, ask her to do something. Can she help out on this or can she help out on that? I, I think I probably don't have anything else more on that. Sorry, I couldn't have more great words perhaps, but. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Thanks for the question. Yes, thank you, Leah D. Ruth H. Thank you, Leah. This is Ruth H., gracefully recovered in Connecticut. And thank you, Don. What an inspiring um, talk you have given us this morning. My question is somewhat similar. You may have answered part of it, but there's kind of a second part. I hope I can be clear. Um, you know, with three decades of abstinence and recovery, my question is, um, I'm assuming you've worked with sponsees or fellows who have relapsed, and if there's something, if you've come to realize things that you do in your program to prevent that from happening to you. And the second part is, um, is um, do you have to remind yourself what the disease, what it felt like when you were still in the food? Is that something that's part of your daily practice, or do you feel like that's something that's just such a part of you that you don't have to actively um, remind yourself, if that makes sense. Thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Well, that's what service does. That's why I sponsor. That's why I do retreats. That's why I'm starting a 15-week step study uh, this coming Wednesday. That's why I do the service. That reminds me all the time, working with people, having to talk about the nature of the disease and the fact that we have this built-in forgetter. When we really start feeling good, we build it. We have it. You know, we feel like maybe we don't have the disease anymore, and that's the whole point of 10, 11, and 12: ongoing inventory, staying with God, and doing lots and lots of service and carrying the message to others. That's the way I hold on to it. Uh, so it's not as if I have to remind myself, but in in the working with others, it's always there. I have a disease over which willpower is useless. And, but I know how to keep it arrested. So that's what I call my daily treatment plan. Uh, 
part of that I talked about this morning in my in my morning morning ritual, if you call it, uh, if you want to call it that, uh, doing all that, saying the affirmations, doing the prayers, making the plan, and then I have sponsees calling. Now I have been for many years working only with people on the steps. I decided uh, that is my seems to be my strongest point to help people understand and get through the steps. So probably since oh I think '97 or so. Uh, I just sponsor people through the steps and then let them go on to another sponsor and I take on more people. And so right now I have four people and they're in various stages of going through the steps. So that keeps it green for me. That keeps it fresh uh, for me. And part of that is is helping people understand the things that lead to relapse. You know, the things that lead to relapse, the most basic thing is two things. One is we haven't been totally honest about our food. Uh, and so we're still eating some stuff that may be the wrong things to eat that keeps the disease going on in our body. Or uh, we haven't changed enough. Right. So, you know, from 10,000 feet, the steps are two steps. The, the program is two steps. One is put down the food, two is change. So often people have not changed enough. Uh, so I talked with someone yesterday, for example, who's been through the steps and is having trouble, uh, been through the steps. So I said, I said, all right, in your four, five, six, and seven, what were the major uh, character uh, shortcomings in your life that you had to change? And how did you change those? And what did you become? And she couldn't answer the question, which means that she didn't really change, uh, which meant that she did just did not go deep enough. It's truly about change, uh, I believe. You know, the food is the symptom. So I have to learn new ways of thinking, new attitudes, new ways of looking at life, new ways of thinking about life, new ways of just handling everything. Uh, new person. I have to become a different person uh, if I want to hold on to this. That's my experience. Uh, but, you know, the disease pretty much had me down. So... It was a rebuilding for me. It was almost like rebuilding the operating system uh, that's deep inside there. You know, an operating system is based upon the childhood things that I learned, those values and wrong ways of looking at the world, all those things that I I learned there and just didn't work. They were self-destructive ways of looking at the world, and I had to unlearn those and learn new ways. And so I keep those in mind by helping others, literally, uh, helping others, doing the things like I'm doing here this morning, talking about my program and how I work it and all that. That keeps it fresh um, with me. So relapse is obviously a major problem in uh, in our program. Uh, statistically, we know that about 75% of people have relapses, and the average seems to be two or three uh, before they uh, get it, before they get some long-term sustained abstinence. But it just is. Um, we have to learn from mistakes. I always tell people, don't waste a slip, for God's sakes. we got to see what's to be learned from this. And then I have them do a slip inventory. just had this last week. I send them a slip inventory, and we talk about exactly what was going on and what were the feelings that led them to the obsession, which led to the, ultimately to the first bite. And when we get to the feelings... Then we say, okay, so how should you 
have looked at this because you know first comes the thinking then comes the feelings so what is the bad thinking here why uh, why were you not able to accept this whatever it was so i help people understand and learn from slips so slips are valuable they're not failure it's you know it's part of of getting there part of learning um so the best way to prevent the the um um Relapse for me is just daily work, daily work, daily work in the slips, daily work in the program, daily helping other people. Now we're all in different stages of being available. You know, I can, I'm retired, so I can uh, do a lot of service. And I have been since I retired for a long time, doing lots and lots of service. But most people can't do that level of service. You know, a working single mother, for God's sakes, she can do what she can do. She still needs to do the basic work in the mornings. You know, she still needs to do that 11-step work. I have to renew my subscription to God every morning. It seems like otherwise it runs out sometime in the afternoon. So I have to renew my my uh, my pledges. I have to renew my affirmations. I have to renew that stuff every day. My faith, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Renew my faith every day. And maybe she can only sponsor one people. Maybe she, maybe she can only do a little bit of service at the you know, at the group level, okay, but she's doing something to be helpful. And that's key, I believe. Uh, Bill stayed sober those first six months by trying to help other people. And that's the way I stay sober and abstinent and clean today is to being of use, being of use. My whole disability problem here, this pain thing, underneath of all that, I think I probably said, is this fear of not being useful. You know, God gave me a second chance at life, and I chose to step in and step out and to live it, and I want to continue to live it now. I just can't quite live it the same way, right? Uh, as I think I said someplace early on in my talk, life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain, and that's what I'm doing today. I'm learning to dance in the rain and still doing and still being useful. Yes, I have to take the damn wheelchair through the airport. All right, all right. Uh, that's that's that man pride crap. Um, but yes, I'll do that. And yes, uh, at the conference, I will sit down if I have to sit down and talk rather than stand up. And yes, I will not. I will let other people set up those tables. Unity Day yesterday, right? Uh, lots of people working to set up a hundred chairs and tables and all that stuff. I did. You know, I stayed back. Uh, I used to feel bad about that. Now I know I have to do that. So I have to accommodate. Accommodate. I can still be useful. I can learn to dance in the rain. I just have to do it a little bit differently than I used to. So I don't. I may have gotten off. On the, off of the question there, but I don't even remember the question now, so I apologize. If I haven't been any help, though, I hope I have. Next. Thank you, Ruth, for the question. Lee H., you're next. Star one to unmute Lee. <clears throat> Thank you, Don. <clears throat> Excuse me, this is Lee H. from Tennessee, and I'm so grateful. I'm just writing. I cannot write fast enough the things you're saying. Um, uh, and I'll probably be listening again to your talk, but um, I loved your affirmations, and I struggle with fear and wondered if you could just repeat the affirmations that you tell yourself in the morning that have to do with fear. 
Well, I have uh, a lot of affirmations. Uh, I uh, I will repeat. I think I can here. Yeah, they're here on a piece of paper. The ones that I said, I think I said. Um, these are not all fear. Maybe, maybe they are, but let's see what I said. Um, by the way, I say the, I didn't mention this, but I say the OA just for the days. Uh, I learned those. Those, those, I think those were printed in 1980 or something. I came in in 82. Somebody handed me that card, um, the just for today card. I learned that and I have been reusing that every day for 36 years. I say it every morning. If you don't know those, they're very, very useful. Just for today, I'll get through this day only and not try to solve my whole life problem. I won't go through all nine, but number six on there says, just for today, I'll be agreeable. I will look as well as I can, dress becomingly, um, be courteous, uh, not try to tell other people what to do, not judge other people, uh, etc. cetera. Um, those are useful reminders for, for me. And then it says, just for today, I'll have a plan. Just for today, I will... Um, uh, have a quiet time with God and try to understand his will for me in the various circumstances of my life. And number nine on there says, just for the day, I will be unafraid. Especially, I will not be afraid to enjoy what is beautiful. Now, me being who I am, I added some. So I have another five that I put on there. But that that wasn't your, your question. But I use those just for the days. If you don't have those, I encourage you to do those. Um, I think the examples of affirmations I gave, uh, all the good that has ever been or will ever be has its beginning in God. God is the foundation on which I build a successful and rewarding life. I am strong, healthy, loving, enthusiastic, faith-filled, serene, and confident. I challenge anyone <laughs> to say that five times and not feel differently. I do that sometimes. Say, all right, say this five times. I am strong, healthy, loving, enthusiastic, faith-filled, serene, and confident. You say it five times, you're laughing at yourself when you've pulled yourself out of your black black space. Uh, I surrender to God every morning and let him lead me through the day. I have nothing to fear today or any day as long as I let God take charge of me and all the circumstances in my life. I leave tomorrow to God to do I leave tomorrow to God but do today what I think God would have me do to prepare for tomorrow. Uh I love myself unconditionally as God loves me unconditionally. As a child of God I have value and purpose or I would not have been given the gift of life. I seek that purpose and the power to carry it out. There is no problem I cannot take to God and none for which he does not have a solution or action plan. I leave the judging of others to God and keep my eyes on my own path. I do not waste. I do not waste who I am by living in a dream of who I wish I was or used to be. And that's a big one for me because of the used to be. I do not waste who I am by living in a dream of who I wish I was or used to be. So I believe those were the uh, things that I, the affirmations that I alluded to or, or read, I should say off of my sheet here. But I literally have been collecting affirmations and I have hundreds of affirmations uh, in my files. And I I have a, a, a working sheet uh, that's in front of me every morning, uh, you know, that has my, my process and my introductory prayers and my uh, my extended seven-step prayer. I, I, I extend the seven-step prayer. I say the, the basic one. And then I say specifically, God, 
Help me today to live in faith rather than fear. Help me to live in a state of surrender rather than trying to control and manage life. Help me to live in acceptance of reality rather than anger and resentment, uh, etc. So I, I expand the seven-step prayer and I change the words in there depending upon what is going on in my life. So today I pray to be free of that anger and that um, fear and that sadness and that uh, irritability brought on by this chronic pain problem. So affirmations are, are useful. Okay? Thank you, Lee, for the question. Larry Kay, you're up next. Thanks for your service, Leah. Don, what what a strong voice in recovery. Um, just a, a tremendous, tremendous teacher based on your experience. Other than that, you're a real jerk, but what a great what a great presentation. <laughs> um so my question, my question. As you were as you were speaking and I was just listening so intently and it, it reminded me of a book I read. Outside, outside, you know, thing, not not the big book, but it was, um, as you were talking about some of the suffering and the physical stuff, it reminded me of a book um, by Viktor Frankl. Perhaps mm-hmm. you've read it. And, oh, um, yes. And, and so my question, yeah, I, I had a feeling you probably did. And my question is, you know, it's about finding meaning, you know, a search for meaning in our lives. And so my question relates to that, Don, is that, you know, from the context of program and your experience, you know, what, what have you extracted within your more recent struggles about the meaning within the suffering? If you could speak to that, that would be tremendously helpful. I appreciate yes, that. Thanks. It's a pretty, it's a pretty short answer. Um, is there's opportunity in everything that happens. And so I look at this suffering, look at the pain, look at my disability as the opportunity to be useful in a different way, uh, an additional way than I have been before. I have now experienced, you know, we share our experience, strength, and hope in this program. It's like uh, I have, I'm not an anorexic, so I really have no experience to give to an anorexic to give her or him hope. I'm not a bulimic, et cetera. Uh, And so I have not been, I have no experience to give to somebody in chronic pain or a handicapped person. Now I do. Now I do. And that's the way I approach this as, uh, and I, in, I intuitively knew this from the very beginning of this problem four years ago. Intuitively, I knew this, but accepting it is a whole nother story. So it's like God tells me the answers, but I always want to argue for quite a while. Are you sure about that? Etc. So that's, uh, that's what this talk about is this morning. Uh, Leah asked me to speak. It seems like once a year in January, she asked me to speak, and that's good. And she asked me what title or what, and I thought, this is an opportunity, and I have not done this. I've not spoken about this, by the way, at any other place, any of my other talks anywhere. And I do you know, speak at meetings from time to time, and yesterday at Unity Day and so forth. I've not spoken of this, and so I thought, this is an opportunity to stand up or sit down in my case, and uh, speak honestly of this because perhaps I have some experience now in this that can benefit some others, some of the people in the program who are suffering from various things. And I have that experience now, so let me see if I can put that together into a share. And so I I told Leah, let's talk about 
using program for facing challenges or whatever the exact title was. I said, let's talk about the challenges. I'll talk about what I've been going through and the fact that I'm still here. I'm abstinent. I'm being useful. I'm still going on with life. So it's about being useful. And that's what I've got. God isn't finished with me yet. Obviously, he's still got some stuff for me to do. And so I'm going to continue to to do it. I don't know of any reason for existence, frankly. And I think I said these words in passing before. Love and service and all the manifestations of those words. Life is all about helping others, being of use, serving. It's not about getting. It's not about accumulating. Nothing wrong with having stuff. Nothing wrong with stuff. I have some stuff. But ultimately, the peace of mind... uh, Serenity, uh, you know, comes from leaving the future to God, leaving the judging of others to God, leaving control of the world and everyone in it to God, taking responsibility for my actions, being who I think God wants me to be, aligning my mind, body, and spirit, you know, be who I am, and being of service to, to God and to others. I don't know of any other reason for existence. And I still have plenty to do along that line, obviously. So I said it would be a short answer, but I think a short answer was love and service, usefulness. (laughs) Okay, thanks for the question. Thank you, Larry K. Stacey T., your turn. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Don, so very much. My name is Stacey T. I'm calling you from Cleveland, Ohio. And I uh, have been trembling through your talk, um, sweaty palms, um, upset stomach. And I so appreciate your share. Um, I will get to my question in a quick moment. Um, I had a motor vehicle head-on in 1986 and um, have had multiple, have your and more um, additional um, physical challenges, um, have been on disability for seven years and gratefully um, have a part-time practice, which helps me to give away what I have, both as a clinician as well as helping those that can now ask me about my physical pain as I adjust myself in my seat shifting frequently with medication, with a TENS unit, etc. And um, I'm just so grateful that you're here. And I have put out requests for phone calls on a vision for you in particular. Um, haven't received many uh, calls back about those in chronic physical pain, as well as um, medication. My question to you is... Um, when I have done and am doing um, nine steps as they uh, come up, um, what you mentioned about self-forgiveness, needing to come first, that is, in fact, something that I don't yet um, fully have um, as I've released now all of the weight over these years and am at a healthy body weight. People regularly ask me, Um, don't you feel better? Don't you have less pain? 
you know, with this 100 pounds released? And I don't know the answer. Um, I often wonder if my weight uh, made things worse after the accident, which I haven't really um, fully looked at. So if you could please address a little bit about um, self-forgiveness. I would really appreciate it, and I appreciate myself for having the courage to um, share this on the line. And I am grateful that I survived this crash when um, there wasn't quite the knowledge that that would happen and all that's come from this life-changing experience. And thank you very much. Uh, thanks for the question. <clears throat> First of all, call me sometime <laughs> and we'll talk. It, but it sounds like you have things more severe than I do now. So I appreciate you inspiring me with your question, believe it or not, inspiring me to keep going and doing. But it sounds like you have, you are keeping going and you are being useful and you are, and you are um, doing things that, that you can do. And that's all good. Self-forgiving. Um, the kind of forgiving that I'm talking about for me was uh, the past and the mistake, many mistakes I've made and the hurts that I've inflicted on people, whether it be my kids or my ex-wife or, or, or others or some of the really stupid things that I've done that I felt guilt and shame about. So I had to let go of that and, and understand that God forgives and I need to forgive. Who am I not to forgive me if if I think that the God of my understanding forgives me? I think the God of my understanding loves me unconditionally. As I said before, no matter what uh, that I did. So that self-forgiveness for me came, began to come in step uh, uh, five for me as I realized I wasn't alone. And five, six, and seven as I began to understand that I am human and accepting me as human. And human means we make mistakes. You know, I have free will. I can do good or I can do bad. It's my choice. And uh, to get well in this program and to stay well has required me to let go of that. I don't know. Um, you know I'm not, not a therapist. Uh, I don't know philosophically if that's good or bad, but I know that that's the program and the program is about self-forgiveness and accepting myself in step seven. Humility, no better than, no worse than, no worse than. Let the past go and forget about it. I made mistakes. I have hurt people, but learn from those things and then give them to God. Or I used to say before, before I got to saying the word God, I used to say flush them down the toilet. Get rid of the crap. Flush it down the toilet. It only hurts me today. You know, holding on to anger and resentment against myself is like a poison. What's that old thing about taking a po- uh, taking poison and expecting somebody else to die from it? Uh, holding on to it against myself gets me nowhere. And uh, I am speaking as if that were just a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing. I continue to make mistakes and make bad judgments. I apologize. I do amends if amends are needed. And then I let go. I'm done. 
the ninth step was all about clearing up the past so I could move forward free of the burdens of the past. Free of the burdens means self-forgiveness. Free of the burdens and move forward, head held high, straight, making decisions as I go, being accountable, working with God on doing, on becoming all that I can become or all that I've been intended to become, all that I've been given the ability to become. Um, so that's the self-forgiveness that I talk about when I, I talk about the past. Mm-hmm. Starts with yesterday and on back. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Stacy T, for the question. Kanessa K, star one to unmute. Good morning. Can I be heard, Leah? Yes, loud and clear. <clears throat> Great, thank you. <clears throat> Don, thank you for giving me another recording to listen to from you over and over again. Um, I've listened to you so many times, and you're one of my heroes, so thank you for your time. Um, <clears throat> you've given me so much to think about, <clears throat> and one of the things that you spoke of, which people probably gonna laugh that I laugh that I honed in on this, but um, you talked about your daily review, and at one point that you did it at night and you switched it to the morning. Um, my questions as I go through it, my question for you as I go through my own challenges right now are: Have you ever done that with another person, or have you always done that daily review? Um, this morning or in, in the morning by yourself, um, taking it straight to God. And can you just talk a little bit about that process? Yes. Uh, I have always done it by myself. Um, um, when I talk to my sponsor, and I have a sponsor, we talk once a week, um, there may be some things that I review with him, but mostly it is just a, a daily process for me with myself and God. Um, I have an informal process and then I have a, a worksheet that I use about once a week um, to check myself on how am I doing on living in faith, how am I doing living in uh, uh, acceptance, how am I doing living in trust, how am I doing living in honesty, how am I doing living in, you know, pick it up, I have about 20 things on there. Uh, it's the kind of things that I, I read out of the big book, right? Acceptance, belief, faith, gratitude, honesty, kindness, self-respect, etc. How am I doing on all those? And I rate myself as I'm doing okay or I'm not doing so okay. And that tells me from week to week, you know, what I need to work on. So it's like taking my spiritual temperature uh, every morning, and I do that. I um, the simplest way that I do it is the is the questions out of the uh, the uh, big book. Uh, looking for my sheet here, uh, right beside my, on the front of my sheet there are the, was I selfish, dishonest, resentful, or afraid? Do I owe an apology? If I kept something to myself, which should be discussed, was I kind and loving toward all? What could I have done better? Those questions are always in front of me every morning. Uh, and then sometimes I go deeper than those. I also have a, a long list on this little Worksheet of uh, you know abstinence. How am I doing on abstinence? Balance, connection, enthusiasm, living in a solution, forgiveness, etc. So yes, I go through those myself, and then uh, sometimes there'll be things that I ask God to help me with. That's what the inventory about taking my temperature to see if I need to do something. Do I need to make some amends, or do I need to just focus today on 
whatever it was that I didn't do so good yesterday. So it's a continual checking checkup on myself. And that's the way I stay aware of what's going on. And that's the way I stay living in the solution rather than the problems. Uh, you notice everything I said, uh, I like to focus on the solution. You know, so I like to, I don't, like to just focus on selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear, and pride. Notice I add pride. I Those are in my mind 24-7. 24-7, selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear, and pride. Um, but in the morning, I go beyond those and focus on the positives, the opposites of those things. So, yes, it is just me. I do not give it away to anybody, but except occasionally my sponsor will give me some of his stuff and I will give him some of my stuff. And he is in the big book, the four to nine uh, deal. I don't do that specifically. Uh, I just do a, a, a tenth, as I've said. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's it. Perfect. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Knessa K for the question. Liz T, are you available? Star one to unmute. Liz T. Okay, perhaps not. Don, what's your time frame like? Would you like me to take another group of questions or you need to? Uh, I'm okay. That's up to you. Okay. So here's an opportunity to ask questions of our speaker, Don. Star one to unmute, please, and announce your first I'm name. I'm here, Leah. Oh, there's I'm Liz. I'm here, Leah. Okay. Sarah. Sarah. Raj okay. G. Sarah. Hold on one minute. Okay. Liz and I have Sarah W and who else? Devorah G. Devorah S. Janice PM. Janice PM. Somebody G. Roz. Roz. Thank you. Anyone else? That's probably enough, Leah. That's probably <laughs> enough. That's probably enough. Okay, that's good. That's good. Thank you, everybody. I'm sure you'll have opportunities to be in touch with Don at a later date. Okay, let's start with Liz T. Thanks so much, Leah. I didn't think you heard me earlier, so thanks for um, giving me this opportunity. And thank you, Don, for your service and your beautiful share today. Um, I just have a question. Uh, you mentioned your involvement you know, at, at, at all the different levels of OA, beyond the uh, group level, um, intergroup world service. And I was just curious what your take is or what your experience has been in our fellowship, um, you know, with with the, um, you discussed a little bit earlier too about, you know, the, the struggle with relapse and um, at our, our group level, sometimes the, the business meetings, um, there's more people still in the food than there are people abstinent or recovered, and and um, how how to deal with the majority in the group conscience votes are maybe still you know quote unquote drunk on the food. Um, how do you come to um, group group conscious decisions with that challenge in the in the local rooms at times, or do you just um, accept that as the current situation and and just focus on like in my case, on my own personal recovery, recover, 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 and put the rest in God's hands. I hope that makes sense as a question. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, we. My whole focus has been for a number of years 
is to try to help people uh, recover and uh, help groups of people um, um, improve their personal recovery because everything starts with personal recovery. Everything, everything in OA starts with recovery. You know, if we say we have, oh, we don't have enough sponsors, and I say, no, no, uh, that's not the problem. The problem is recovery because if you're in recovery, you sponsor. That's the way you hold on to it, right? So uh, improving personal recovery has been my focus for many years, and I've worked with probably, I've done, uh, my, my conclusion a long time ago was that the best thing that could be done is if I could work with intergroups because intergroups can organize uh, uh, recovery uh, training programs uh, to supplement sponsorship to help people improve their personal recovery. How to work, I don't know, how to how to develop a food plan, how to uh, get how to work the steps, et cetera, et cetera. So I have been working on something called intergroup renewal for about uh, five years now. So I have talked to I think probably more than a hundred intergroups around this country on trying to rebuild themselves into training training organizations. And some of them have been able to do that and so improve personal recovery in the area. Uh, so that is the focus. OA, obviously, if you know the history of OA, uh, is declining in numbers. We have been declining since the 90s. Uh, we were once at uh, more than 12,000 groups. We're now somewhere around 6,000 or less. Uh, so we're half of what we want, we once were. And uh, yes, there is less recovery out there in many areas. Many meetings have closed. And so it is, it is an issue. Uh, some of the meetings that I've gone to, I, I call OA light rather than real OA. But that said, we work with what we have, and, and my purpose is to help people, uh, whether they're in recovery, whether they're not in recovery. And when it comes to meetings, uh, you know, my job is to do what I can to help put in, and everybody in the meeting, per our traditions, has a say. They don't have to be abstinent. If, if they're regular members of that meeting, then they have a say in the group conscience. And I trust group con true group conscience. I trust group conscience. If it's wrong, we'll see that it's wrong and we'll change. So that is who we are. We work together no matter what, no matter what, no matter what. We come from all kinds of backgrounds. We have different levels of recovery. We have different methods of recovery. You know, I'm not strictly a big book only, big book only. It's at my base and it's my core. But I use all the other books. I am one of the nine people who have worked the last uh, three and a half years on revising the OA 12 and 12, which is about to hit the market, about to come out. So I work very hard on that and trying to improve that book. Um, and so we'll see how that goes. But you don't have to be abstinent to talk in group conscience, to share in front of the meeting. That's up to the meeting to decide to lead the meeting. That's up to the meeting to decide if, how much abstinence you need, et cetera. But everybody has a say. That's the tradition. And you move forward doing the best that you can. You can only be an example, right? You be an example of recovery and you put in your two cents and what you think and then let it go where it will go. We just don't know. Okay, that's it. Thanks, Liz T. Thank Sarah, you, Sarah W., your turn. 
star one nine mute. Good morning, Leah. Thank you for your service. Good morning, Don. This is Sarah W. Grateful Recovered Compulsive of Reader from Iowa. It's so good to hear you on the line. Um, and you've helped me enormously over the years, too. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit um, about the parable of the alcoholic who was stuck in the hole and couldn't find his way out. And I wanted you to uh, connect that to how you go down into the hole and help the alcoholic out or help the compulsive overeater out. I think it's extremely important when people have, you know, we've talked a lot about um, relapse and about struggles with food, and the numbers are astounding when you say them, of how many of us have been through relapse. Um, but I, I'd like to know how you get down into the, into the hole and what you do, uh, let's say, with a sponsee that is working with you through the steps and uh, picks up. If you would address that, I would appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. Uh, let me say two things there. Um, I talked about the slip inventory b- before. We, we um, mm-hmm. uh, do an anal- an- analysis of what's to be learned. Uh, but b- before I, I'll come back to that in a second. But, you know, in talking with newcomers, uh, people just walking into the room, uh, you know, if you look closely at Chapter 7 in, uh, you know, working with others, uh, a lot of that stuff doesn't apply, you know, it's uh, to to OA, and it's not the way we do things in a lot of ways. But at the core, there's a process in there that talks about what we're doing to with that newcomer is trying to show them that this, we have a program here that works. There is a solution. That's the message, right? So when I talk to a newcomer, like like yesterday, uh, there was a, a person. There was a person there. I had been alerted that a man was going to show up, and uh, he'd never been to an OA meeting before. And um, you know, so could I talk with him? And so, when I talk with a newcomer, that newcomer learns absolutely nothing if I just say, "What's your problem?" and let him talk or her talk. They learn nothing, right? Chapter seven tells me I need to give them hope by telling about myself. So, you know, I introduce myself and say, hey, you know, glad to meet you, but let me just give you a little thing about myself. And then I have like a kind of a five-minute or less elevator speech, you know, that I tell them about me. I've been around for, you know, X years, and I came to the program 400 pounds and uh, really crazy. And I kind of tell him a little bit myself, and then, of course, I'm standing in front of him, and he sees I'm not 400 pounds anymore, right? So he's he's making those physical judgments immediately. But I talk for three or four minutes before I ever let him talk. And so I tell him, basically, that I found a solution here. And then I ask him, you know, and then he, he identifies with what I've said. And in his head, he's thinking, holy shit, this guy knows something about me, this guy knows something about what I got, and more more often than not, he will say, "Wow, that's you know, that's the way I used food. That's the way I did it, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And so he identifies, and so I've given him some hope, and then I ask him to do certain things. You know, uh, I tell him uh, if you you know if you're interested in this, here's here's this newcomer package, and I suggest you 
first of all, go look at this video, and there's a there's a an eight and a half minute video on Welcome to Newcomers, which I made some years ago, which is on one of the intergroup websites, and I have you go there and look at that, and it explains what the twelve steps are all about in the program, and then I have him read uh, uh, Plan of Eating in the in the um, newcomer package. And then I follow up with him and talk with him about it. And he may or may not be interested. But when he walks in the room, he is in that dark hole. And uh, and so I try to give him hope. Hope, hope, hope is what pulls people out of that black hole. The reason for living. Because they don't have any there and they're hopeless. So we give them hope. You know, we We have to be the program, not just work the program. We have to be the program. And people can see if you're in recovery. They don't know the word recovery, but they can see that you're positive and that you've been where they were and you're not there anymore. And that comes through in our aura as we talk with people and we give them hope. Um, Just like I think, based upon some of the questions and so forth, that I've given hope to some people this morning just by sharing my experience and being positive about this stuff so um the the other part about when they relapse or when they slip you know there's a difference between a slip and a relapse um what did roseanne used to say uh you know slip is when you you know eat eat something not on your plan or so forth you eat eat something and then stop uh relapse is when you pull up a chair in front of the refrigerator you know so there's there's a difference so I get people to learn from their slips. Uh, we, if we're working through the steps, and that's all I do, we pause. And I have a person in that exact situation right now. We were on, we were on the uh, uh, eighth and ninth step. Mm-hmm. And she, um, uh, for whatever reason, well, I, I know the reasons, because, but I won't, won't say those here, um, she picked up that glass of wine. Uh, at this occasion, special, special, special occasion, she picked up that glass of wine, and the glass of wine led her to the pizza, and the pizza led her to uh, cookies, and then she stopped. Uh, and so now we're pausing in our work. We did the with the analysis, and now um, I've after, we're pausing for two weeks for her to get absolutely back abstinent and clean from these binge foods and onto our food plan. So we're pausing, but we're talking every day, talking every day. Uh, just briefly though, how's your abstinence? What's going on? And she's committing her food. I don't normally commit, take food from people, but in this situation, she's committing her food to me every day and uh, we're moving on. And so in two weeks, she'll be abstinent and we will get back onto the step work. And that's what I do. Uh, is there ever an occasion where I give up on somebody? Usually not. Uh, they usually give up and just walk away. I'll make a phone call or two. I'll follow up with them. And no response, I'll stop. And that's what Chapter 7 tells me to do, working with others. It tells me, don't waste your time on somebody who's not really willing. You know, this program works best for people who are at their bottom. Last resort. Last resort. If you haven't tried a lot of other things, you're usually not willing to do the work and the rebuilding work that these 12 steps require. So lots of people walk into our room, you know, it's kind of tire kicking. They're just checking us out because we're free. They walk in and they listen, but they haven't quite reached that place yet where they're ready 
to do whatever they have to do to change. They haven't been given that, um, can't think of the word, but they haven't just been given that willingness to step up and give up. Not quite there yet. So they have to go out there and suffer some more, unfortunately, before they might be ready. They have to try another program or whatever it is. And so we have lots of people come in the program and then leave. They're just like that. But then lots of other people come into the program and they don't see any recovery. You know, and that's a whole other story. And that's the core of our problem is uh, the lack of recovery in every meeting for newcomers to see. So that's an issue. So that's what I do. I, I pause, but I don't fire them. And I do not go back all the way back to the first step. I mean, in a sense, the inventory and committing the food for a couple of weeks is first step work, but I don't go back and work through the steps again. We start, we just go back to wherever we are at eight. In this case, the one I'm giving is we're at eight and nine. That's what I do. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Sarah W., for the question. Devora S., star one to unmute. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much, Don and Leah, for being here and organizing this. And, Don, thank you. I've heard you in the past speak about an elderly mother and the care that you gave. Um, so right now I'm, I, have my, I have an elderly mother who doesn't live in my area. And um, how do I deal, how, how did, I don't know if you dealt with this or not, but um, I'm only able to be with her once a week. Um, but, you know, the feelings of guilt um, when I can't go that one day a week, which is very, very unusual because I'm usually there um, because I have other responsibilities. I have a, a full-time job and I have children. I have grandchildren in my area. I just, I, mean, I feel like being stretched in all directions. Um, so how do, how, how do you deal with that? Um, yes. Well, I did deal with that for many years. She, she died. Um, she was 500 miles away. And so I, I had to, uh, uh she had help and eventually I had to, um, uh, basically force her into a assisted living place. Um, it was Medicaid. We couldn't, didn't have the money, but because we didn't have the money, uh, Medicaid would picked it up. And so I had to uh, really just force her into the assisted living. And eventually they, um, I started to say kick her out, but it's kind of cruel, but basically that's what they did. They came to the point where they, she needed much more care than they could in the assisted living uh, do provide. So then she had to move into the, the nursing home where she spent the last four or five years, I guess it was. She eventually died at 99. Um, and uh, I got there. I didn't get there once a week. You're close enough to get there once a week. I only got there two or three times a year. But there were the calls, and I talked with her aides, and I talked with other people. And she had some friends there from her church that would stop in. And so I tried to do as much as I could to get other people to come in and, and, and just give her company and so forth. But the truth is she was miserable. Um, she eventually, she the, the dementia started, I don't know, maybe 10 years before she died. And then it got worse and worse. 
and um, in the end, uh, it was it was uh, Alzheimer's. They called it Alzheimer's. So it was painful, but it just was, and it was part of the dealing with reality. So I had to feel that I did the best I could with what I had. I couldn't get there, and I had responsibilities of my own. And she, of course, uh, her job was to try to make me feel guilty. So every time we talked, she criticized, you know, why aren't you here? She has said, she said multiple times, you know, I'm your first responsibility, not your wife and your kids. You know, you should be coming here and helping me. And so she did this all the time, all the time, and I had to give God, give that to God, and know that I was doing the best I can. So difficult, but I did it. I worked my program. I stayed useful. Uh, I did the best I could with what I had, and eventually she passed. So I do not have any regrets or guilt because I believe I did the best I could. It wasn't an ideal situation. She could not come here and live with us. That would have been, she just needed much more care than we could give. And besides, she wouldn't have done that anyway. She would not leave her home, her state, where she grew up. So it was a challenging, challenging time. Um, but I got through it. And again, I did the best I could. Only you can know if you're doing the best you can. But you have responsibilities to your family and you have to work and kids and all that. And you have to just do the best you can with with the time that you have and then give the the guilt. I don't know if she does that kind of thing, but if there's guilt there, then give it to God. Give it to God. But it's not easy. I, I feel for you. It's not easy. Thanks for asking. Thank you so much. Thanks, Devora. Janice PM, your turn. Well, good morning to you, my dear Leah and everyone, and especially Dawn. Good morning to you. This is Janice PM from Massachusetts. First of all, I want to just express my gratitude and, and, and just tell you, like everybody else on the line would probably tell you, that how useful you have been to me this morning. Um, you know, I know things in my head. I do have a question after the statement. Um, I know in my head that, you know, there's only one judge, and I and to me, you know, I know that it's God. But, you know, I have some resentments, some impediments, and a resentment that I've had for a long time, and it has to do with some personalities and program. And I think you said something about, you know, some personalities. And, you know, you said leaving the judging to God. Well, you know, I know that, but I never did it. I would say the resentment prayer, but to leave the judging to a personality, I mean, to to God. Let him take care of that personality. Well, anyway, um, my question is this. You know, I want to thank you also for all the wonderful emails um, and, and printouts that you sent to me, but how are you going to present? Is it going to be face-to-face, that 15-week step study? Yes. Can yes. you tell me it's that? 20, tw- yes, 24, 24 people in a room, two hours a week with lots and lots of homework, talking to each other, being abstinent, having sponsors, um, 15 weeks. I'm not using the the uh, the OA book, but some of that comes from my methods 
uh, I'm just using I'm using all three books. I use all three books for all of my step studies. So yeah, this is face to face. It's not online. Okay. The, the people have to be abstinent, and they have to have a sponsor, etc. So we are going fully through the steps in depth. Okay. Okay. So it's not going to be on a recording or anything. No. Okay. No. Thank you. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for everything, Don. Mm-hmm. Welcome. Thanks, Leah. Thank you, Janice, for the question. All right. Our final question for the morning comes from Roz G. Star one to unmute, Roz. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Dawn. My name is Roz G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in northern Los Angeles County, Palmdale, California. And there were three words that come to me that I'd like to ask you about in your share. And they, I mean, they, my ears perked up when you talked about a single working mother. That is me. And uh, I have felt guilt about not being able to sponsor a lot of people. I just don't have the time. So what I heard, I loved what you said. So I'd like for you to speak on compare because I compare myself to those who sponsor a lot of people and, you know, do this and do that with program. And I, and I, then I suffer guilt over it. And I I know you just talked about guilt with the last share or the other one before, Mm -hmm. but if Mm -hmm. you have an affirmation on guilt and compassion and comparing, thank you. Mm -hmm. There's an old AA slogan that says, don't count, don't compare, don't keep score. And I live by that. Don't count, don't compare, don't keep score. Leave their abstinence to them. Leave their, leave my eyes on my plate, not their plate. Don't judge, just leave it to God. I, I try to, to live by that. And I have to reaffirm it all the time. You know, That's why affirmations. I have to reaffirm all this stuff all the time. I wish it were a one-time thing and then I got all this stuff and it's all in my head and that's it. But it's not like that. I have to constantly reaffirm, constantly remind myself uh, to leave the judging of others to God. Don't count. Don't compare. We do what we can in the service. In the service, as I said, I can do a lot because I have the time. Um, but you can't. You do what you can. You know, you can do something. You have to do something. But you can't do what others may do. You may, you know, maybe it's sponsor one person. Maybe it's do some service at the meeting level, but you you're a single mother, as you said, and you have to do but you have to do something. You have to feel that you're being useful. That's the key. Feel that you're being useful to somebody still suffering compulsive overeaters or in the program. But you have to balance, 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 balance. We're not very good balancers sometimes. Balance was one of the things I had lots of trouble with pre program. You know, we we like to jump on the horse and run off in all different directions and do a hundred things at a time. Uh, I used to say, uh, oh my God, I don't know what to do first. I have a hundred things to do here. And my sponsor used to say, well, who made the list? And that's the point. I make the damn list and the list is too long. It's not realistic. So I have to balance my priorities. And that's part of my action plan every day, by the way, that I do. Is what am I going to do today? I, I, um, seem to always put too much on there, and that's what I have to be careful of. Don't put too much on. Uh, look for the, the, you know, be realistic. Be realistic. And do not feel guilty if you can't do what some others do. You can do what you, only you can know. It's like abstinence. Only you can know if you're truly not eating compulsively. No matter if you're following a food plan, you could actually be eating compulsively. You know, you could still be a dry drunk 
crazy as hell and, and following a food plan. So following a food plan is not abstinence. Abstinence is much more than that. You know, there's physical abstinence, there's emotional abstinence, and there's spiritual abstinence. And I have to look at all of those. You know, the short the short term definitions are physical abstinence is serenity with food. Emotional abstinence is serenity with myself and others. And spiritual abstinence is serenity with God. So that's my short, short definitions of, of those words. But don't compare, don't count, don't keep score. Key, key old slogan for me. Thanks for your question. Thanks, Roz. Thank you to everyone who asked questions this morning. And, Don, it's always a privilege to spend time with you on the line. Very grateful. You're very welcome. Oh, my God. We spent two hours plus on here. Yes, oh my we goodness. did. We did. Thank you for your time. I know you've You're very welcome. many. You're I very welcome. Such a beautiful presentation this morning. Let's close from page 164 from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.